You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part four of a series in book four of the Psalms. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all round. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. That's the end of Psalm 97. What a, a beautiful poem, a beautiful song it is, beginning with those wonderful words, let the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. But even that in itself is a challenge, isn't it? You see, our culture, our world, really ever since the very beginning, since uh, Genesis chapter 3, whenever Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent who said that they could be like God, they didn't have to be subject to God. Ever since then, as human beings, we have seen the idea of a God who reigns as being something negative. We've rebelled against him and tried to replace his reign with our own reign. Uh, that's, of course, supremely so in the modern world where the idea uh, goes around. It's really a the critical theory idea influenced by the Marxist kind of philosophy that says uh, that all power is used to oppress others and therefore anybody having power and particularly absolute power is a bad thing. That power corrupts and, and absolute power of course would corrupt absolutely. Well that is largely true certainly about absolute power when it comes to a human being although it is possible for human beings to use power for good and for selfless reasons not only selfishly but when we say that God reigns that is truly good news it's something to rejoice about because he is utterly good he always uses his power his majesty his authority for what is truly good I said that we have rejected God as king. We've tried to make ourselves our own kings. But of course, over generations, as human beings went that way, they found that they had an impulse to worship and they started to worship created things rather than the creator. They made gods that were personifications of powers of nature. I suppose expressing their fear of those powers, their uh, sense of subjection to them, but also a desire to be able to manipulate them through sacrifices and the right words and the right prayers and rituals. Uh, and, and the result of that is what the Bible calls idols. Uh, this psalm talks about that, that the worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Because the psalmist knows that the true God, Yahweh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in verse 1, 
is so much greater than any created thing. In fact, all of the aspects of creation are simply manifestations of his glory or uh, shielding and uh, the, the world from his, his vision. He's surrounded in clouds and thick darkness. Verse 2 says, fire goes before him. His lightning lights up the world and mountains melt like wax. God is sovereign over creation. All of these, these places and things that are personified as as gods in the false religions of the world are subject to him and he is righteous and just verse 2 says that his throne is founded on righteousness and justice and that means that he judges his enemies with fire and he reveals his glory with lightning and the earth sees and trembles the heavens are proclaiming his righteousness and everybody sees his glory. God's glory is glimpsed, is manifest in some limited sense through the glory of creation. And yet I idols are set up as images of created things to be worshipped by people. But those who are in Zion, in Jerusalem, verse 8, they are glad, they rejoice at God's judgments. Again, this is a good thing that there is a God who is just. We might think it's a, an oppressive thing, but because he is utterly good, it is good to be subject to his rule. And those who know his rule and his goodness find joy in this fact. That whatever is happening in the world, whatever uh, there seems to be going wrong in the news headlines or in our personal circumstances, that God remains on the throne. He is high over all the earth, exalted far above all so-called gods. O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil is the, then the challenge of verse 10. If we're going to say that we love Yahweh, the Lord, the creator, the utterly good one, then we must hate what is evil. We can trust in him because he preserves the lives of his holy people and delivers them from the wicked people. He sows light, verse 11, or uh, some manuscripts you'll see in the footnotes say light dawns for the righteous. But it's a beautiful idea. Either way, the dawn, of course, is given by God. But this idea of sowing light as if it was seed and joy for the upright in heart. God is the source of light that brings truth and understanding to us and the source of our joy. So we can rejoice in him and give thanks to his holy name. Let's carry on then into Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. 
another short little psalm, but it carries on beautifully from the theme of the previous psalm. The previous psalm was finding joy in the fact that the Lord reigns. And now that carries on to say that the Lord works for the salvation of his people through his right hand and his holy arm. And so we have a song to sing to the Lord, a new song. That phrase is found a number of times in the Psalms. It's also found in the book of Isaiah and in Revelation, a new song. And it's always to do with a song of salvation, having experienced God's salvation and so singing joyfully to him. And it's also always caught up with the idea of, of a mission to the nations, to the world. The ends of the earth, verse 3 says, have seen the salvation of our God. So the call in verse four is that all the earth would make a joyful noise to the Lord. Of course, when God called Abraham, he told him that through Abraham, all nations on earth would be blessed. And the purpose for which God called that one man and his family and the nation of Israel that would be descended from him was so that his glory could be revealed to the whole world, to all nations. All nations were meant to look and to see how great Israel's law was and therefore to understand how great God was. Deuteronomy speaks of that. In Exodus, after God has brought them out of Egypt uh, and he is he's about to give them the Ten Commandments in chapter 19, he says that he carried them to himself on wings like an eagle and they have become a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to serve him and, and God says although the whole earth is mine or perhaps because the whole earth is mine because a kingdom of priests is meant to make God known to the nations. Now sadly of course the nation of Israel failed as God's servant. They would not listen to him. They didn't live according to his covenant. They didn't represent him faithfully to the world. But despite that fact that points in their story and in their songs of praise like this psalm, we, we see that some of them got it. Some of them understood that God had saved them so that they could sing a song of salvation to the world, a song in which all nations could join. The Lord revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations, verse 2 says, his steadfast love and faithfulness to Israel, and they have seen God's salvation. And so the call is, verse four, for the whole earth to join in, to break forth into joyous song and praise. Verse five and six talk about instruments that can be used, lyre and melodies and trumpets and horns. But it's not just people who can sing this praise. In a sense, when they do that, they're joining in with creation, the creation that God has made. The sea will roar uh, and all that fills it, the the animals uh, of the sea, the fish and the, the whales and dolphins and everything that lives in the sea and the world and those who dwell in it. Again, all the creatures of the earth and the rivers will clap their hands. The hills will sing for joy. And then verse nine again returns to the theme of Psalm 97. The Lord who judges, the Lord who rules, who will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity, which again, we might think of in negative terms, the idea of being judged, particularly if we are not right with God, if we realise how far we have wandered from him. 
but but actually it's good news that God judges, that God brings righteousness, that God is fair in his judgments and he will judge all nations, not only Israel, but all of the nations. So the call is to come and know his salvation and so not to face condemnation at his judgment. Let's read a third Psalm for this episode, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, the king in his might loves justice. You have established, established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is Holy. Another beautiful little psalm, uh, a psalm that carries on very much the same theme as Psalm 97 and Psalm 98. Psalm 97 says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 98 uh, calls us to sing a new song of salvation to the Lord for the marvellous things he has done. And now Psalm 99 says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. In Psalm 98, we saw that this is a message, a song for all nations. Uh, and the peoples must recognise that as Psalm 98 finishes, it says that God judges with equity and righteousness. And because he reigns, the people need to recognise his sovereign power and majesty and tremble at the sight. He is enthroned upon the cherubim, of course, that refers to the Ark of the Covenant, which had cherubim on the covering that became the, the so-called mercy seat, the throne of God, the place where he dwelt with his people. And that's a reminder that God's presence with his people and his reign is from the place to which sacrifice is brought, that there is a priesthood. Verse 6 talks about Moses and Aaron and, and Samuel who came to the Lord and were answered by him. But the Lord may reign from the temple, great in Zion, Jerusalem, verse 2, but he reigns and is exalted over all the peoples. This is not simply a local God of one people, but the God of all the earth. And so again, the call in verse 3 is that all peoples might praise God's name and his awesome name, his great and awesome name. He is holy. He loves justice. The king in his might, verse 4, uh, the, presumably again the king there is God, the sovereign one, not the, the, the ruler, the, the human ruler of Israel. But God has established equity and justice and righteousness. Again, look at the delight of the faithful Israelite in the fact that God has given them his law, his standard of right. It's not an oppressive thing or a restrictive thing. It is a liberating, life-giving, good thing. There is righteousness. And so we can exalt Yahweh our God, verse 5, and worship at his footstool. He is holy. He spoke to Moses and Aaron and Samuel from the pillar of the cloud. 
and they obeyed him. They kept his testimonies and his statute. God answered them and forgave them. Again, notice these heroes of faith, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they are not sinless people as if somehow uh, they were able to keep God's standard of righteousness. They too were sinners who needed God's forgiveness. Again, his throne is the place of sacrifice. There is forgiveness, but he is also an avenger of their wrongdoings. This is the just God who in his forgiveness does not ignore sin. Of course, the writer of the psalm couldn't know how God was going to bring these truths together to be the one who is both judge of sin and forgiver of sinners. But that way was through the cross of Christ where God himself incarnate as a human being would take our sin and the punishment for our sin so that we could be set free. And that's the ultimate throne of God, the cross the place of sacrifice where God reigns, but the place where God himself became the sacrifice for our sins. God the avenger who poured out wrath upon his son took that within himself and God the saviour who forgave those who look in faith to Christ. And so we can exalt Yahweh our God and worship at his holy mountain for Israel, of course, coming to the temple as the place of worship. For us, the mountain in, in uh, Hebrews, it talks about coming to the heavenly Jerusalem. The uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, when Israel came to Mount Sinai, to where God gave his law to Moses. It was terrifying. Even Moses, the writer of Hebrews says, said he trembled with fear. But we have come to something much greater, not Mount Sinai, where the law was given, not Mount Moriah, Zion, the uh, hill in Jerusalem where the temple was built, but actually to Mount Calvary, where Christ was crucified and through him to the heavenly Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem the eternal city of God that he is building. We have a great and an immense privilege. And as we come to him as his children, we come with thanksgiving. We come to rejoice that the Lord reigns, to rejoice that the Lord judges and to rejoice that the Lord saves.